0: Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message for uh, the message tonight, and uh, I believe that it's going to help each and every one of us. I think that uh, uh, no matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord, uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each and every one of us tonight, and so we'll we'll get into that. Before I do that, I do want to acknowledge and thank and honor our lead pastors, Pastor Omar and Sister Letty. We love them so much. We appreciate them and, and uh, uh, their, their uh, contribution uh, really to, uh, to, to my life, my family. Uh, I love them so much. I just told him right now uh, while we were sitting there, uh, Pastor Rob mentioned that I'm going to be preaching, and uh, many people were clapping. I appreciate that, uh, but you know someone wasn't, and then uh, Pastor Omar said, hey, don't worry about it. I'm clapping for you. And I said, uh, oftentimes in my life, Pastor Omar, you've been clapping for me uh, when others haven't, so I appreciate I appreciate you I appreciate that uh, but I love I, I love our pastors I, 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 I do I really I love them uh, our pastoral team honor each and every one of you um, great people and our leaders in the house um, Tonight I'm going to talk, I have a lot of scripture, we're going to read the Bible, um, uh, and, and I'm going to talk about it, uh, so, so don't be offended that we're going to read some scripture tonight, uh, but I, I believe that uh, there's three stories that I want to look at that are going to help us in regards to this altered life that we've been talking about, and, and really tonight, uh, what I want us, to, the theme that I want us to understand is that these lives that we're looking at, uh, just like many of our lives, have been altered by grace. There's a tremendous amount Amount of grace that's that's been showered on each and every one of us, and um, and we see that throughout these stories. When as I was growing up, uh, those of you that know uh, know a little bit of my history, um, uh, I, I was born and uh, raised in a Christian home. My parents were ministers my entire uh, my entire life, and um, uh, my dad always had this thing that he would say. Uh, typically, when he was disciplining us, uh, he would would, uh, he, you know, he would he would discipline us and then he would encourage us, right? Parents know how that goes, right? You got to like lay down the hammer and then you got to then you got to smooth it out. Uh, but but my dad would always encourage each and every one of us. I'm one of I'm one of four uh, one of four children. He would say that uh, he would say Isaac, your life is your greatest testimony. And and I want us to think about that, that uh, our lives, every single thing, every single uh, day that we live our lives, if we're on the job or if we're at school or uh, whatever it is that we're doing, is that our lives are preaching a sermon probably more... Uh, eloquently or more articulate, then maybe you could even stand up here and preach a sermon, and so our lives are truly our greatest testimony, and so this is the reality that many of us in this room uh, won't stand on a stage and preach to thousands, but every single day and every action, every transaction, every interaction, we're preaching a message, and my question to you is, do you have a good sermon to preach? I, I think it's important. I think it's a question that we should, we should all, we should all ask ourselves. Now, I understand this, that uh, my life has been showered in grace. I think about uh, where God found me. I'm, I'm a prodigal son, so I was jacked up. I was broken. I was, uh, I, I was hopeless. I tell people I was a loser uh, for sure, but it was the grace of God that came and transformed me. I was truly altered by, by this grace, and, and I acknowledge even this, that as I'm standing up here right now uh, we say that I'm I'm swimming in grace right now right like there there are things there are things in my life that I'm still working out and and God is still molding me and shaping me so I acknowledge that I'm I'm even right now as I'm standing here I am operating in this great grace that God has put, poured out on my life and I believe that each and every one of us needs to understand that okay like you're, you're not as good uh, here, here's something that's sobering okay you're not as good as you think you are, Uh, but, but here's the grace, is that you're not as bad as you think you are either, okay? As we're walking with the Lord, the grace of God is there with us. I was uh, thinking about this this thought about our lives are our greatest testimony. I was sharing with the pastoral team uh, that last week i was uh, I was at a funeral. Um, one of our clients uh, passed away and um, and so I was at this funeral. It was a very tragic uh, very tragic story. He uh, was a re- relatively young man forty nine years old um, uh, uh, passed away on, uh, while he was away with his family on a vacation and Uh, and has young children, and it was just tragic. Now, I knew uh, this man uh, from my business dealings with him, and quite honestly, he was a tough man, right? Uh, But I knew he was a good man. He was a man of faith. He loved his family. I I knew that, but I didn't really know the man until I'm sitting there in this auditorium with... uh, thousands of people uh, from all walks of life and uh, uh, minister after minister friend after friend Standing up and talking about the impact that this that this man's life had on on these folks. So, uh, so so this man uh, he was a prodigal. He he uh, he he was he was uh, uh, had trouble with the law and all that kind of stuff. And then God got a hold of him, and uh, uh, God had transformed his life. and And uh, he he w- he led the Royal Rangers. If anybody knows what the Royal Rangers are, but he kind of gave his life back uh, to the Royal Rangers and poured his life into these young men and it was such a cool uh, experience. Um, They had the color guard there and they did this whole uh, kind of thing but I was thinking about the legacy that this man left behind. Now I knew him to be a shrewd businessman. Uh, I knew that he was a good man but I didn't realize truly uh, and you guys understand what I'm saying here how good he was the impact that he had, and, and I said I was in a room full of a diverse crowd. I mean, he had bikers, uh, you know, he had bikers all the way to, you know, good uh, good Christian, good-looking Christian people like some of you sitting in this room, all right? I mean, and, and just to understand uh, the grace that had been poured out on this man's life to be able to touch and impact so many different people. It was just such a, 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 a tremendous legacy uh, that, that I look, that, that I looked at, and as I was driving home from uh from that funeral i was moved uh by by this man's story and i was thinking and reflecting uh, in my own life is what impact am i making what 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 is significant in my life that i'm i'm Touching someone else and impacting them with the love of Christ. And so, uh, so so, so, I want us to kind of think about that as we look at these three stories. Now these three stories that we're going to look at, it's going to be Saul's conversion uh, to Paul on the, on the Damascus Road. Uh, the next story we're going to look at is Zacchaeus. And then the last story is the Samaritan woman. Now that's a lot for us to get through. So I'm going to move very fast and I'm going to ask for you to give me grace because I'm not going to go through all of the details of the story. Um, but, but that's what we're going to look at. So, so here it is, uh, Saul's conversion. And so it's, it's important for us to understand that Saul, uh, Saul was righteous in his own mind. So Saul was convinced that he was doing God's work. You you, you hear that uh, Saul, his name was Saul the Persecutor. He was persecuting Christians. Now, he was doing this with an understanding that he was truly being a religious zealot and purifying uh, the world of enemies against God. So this was his conviction. And this is the biggest theme that I want us to understand, that you could be fully convinced that you're right and be fully wrong. How many of us know people like they are convinced that they're right? There's, there's nothing, their truth is their absolute truth to them. But they're wholly wrong. And so here, so here's Saul. Saul thinks that he's doing God's work. And then he has a, a personal experience and a revelation with Jesus. So let, let's look at this. Acts 9, verses 1 through 19. Uh, the Bible says this. It says, Meanwhile, now I'm sorry. Let me give you just a little bit of context. Uh, in verse eight, Saul has just completed the martyr, uh, or or the killing of Stephen the martyr. And uh, if you read just before that, it says that uh, that that. Saul uh, um, was was in compliance or agreed to murder this preacher. in fact, he held the robes of those that stoned this man okay so he was all in on that all right so here it is in, in chapter nine it says, meanwhile so while this was happening a- after that happened well while, so, while Saul continued to persecute these Christians or these people of the way Saul uh, this is where it picks up, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was. Eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. So here's Saul. Uh, he believes that he's an agent for God, that he's going out and doing God's work and, uh, and, and it's violent. I mean, he's just, he, he's persecuting them with a zeal, quite honestly, with a zeal and a love for God. Now, it's kind of crazy that way, but that's just the reality of, of what it is. The Bible goes on to say, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, I think that it's important for us to acknowledge the fact that uh, uh, this voice, which is Jesus, does not tell Saul, Saul, you're persecuting Christians. He says, Saul, you're persecuting me and and I, I think it 's interesting here because because Paul or i 'm sorry Saul later becomes Paul, but he talks about this kind of revelation of understanding that uh, it, that there 's a oneness with the believer in Jesus now in Ephesians, he kind of refers to this when he 's writing his letter to the Church of Ephesus, and he says, "Christ the head." And the church is the body. And I think that here in this, in this quick kind of comment that, that, that Jesus is calling out to Saul in a moment, he's, he's explaining to him that we are one and that I desire to have a, a intimate, personal, a oneness relationship with you. The Bible goes on to say, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, Christians, if you're sitting in this room, how many of us wish that we had explicit direction about what we're supposed to do with our life after our, after our encounter with God? Are, am I the only one that wishes that God would just tell me explicitly what... What I'm supposed to do. But that, that's not the reality uh, of our lives. The Bible goes on to say, The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his, compa- his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. I, I think that it's, uh, it's worth noting the fact that uh, Saul is struck with blindness um, to the physical or to the, to, to the reality of, of his life, and we'll see that he becomes illuminated to the spiritual things of God. And so he's, he's blinded, really, if you look at this, he's blinded from the, uh, the religiosity of his, uh, of, of his ambition and, uh, and, and is uh, revealed, or the revelation comes to him uh, about the truth of who Jesus is. So now, uh, it goes on, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias, uh, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to the Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now here's Ananias, and I, I, I want us to think about this. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands, uh, he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Now, we understand that Saul goes on after this incredible revelation, after this incredible experience, that he does a 180. All of a sudden, he's now, he's now, uh, uh, he's compelled by the message of Jesus Christ and, and who God is and the revelation of who God is. And he's taught all of these things, and then he's moved to a place of action where he becomes Paul the missionary and many people are are impacted by his ministry not only in that time but here we are reading about him and his story continues to to, to minister to so many people it's powerful it's a powerful story of what could happen with one life one character in the bible that I want us to uh, maybe just stop and take a look at is Ananias now here's Ananias. Ananias is not an apostle. He's not, uh, he's not really anyone with any real status within uh, the church or within the religion of that day, but really all that Ananias is is a believer that has radical obedience. Ananias really is a believer that has radical obedience that is now an agent of grace. Listen to this. Ananias, when, when the Lord comes to Ananias and he speaks to Ananias, Ananias first tells him, have you heard about all the terrible things this man has done? In a moment, he's moved to, uh, he, he's, he's moved maybe to disgust. Lord, how can you ask me to go and do something for a man that is your enemy? And as I was reading this, I thought about it in my own life and I thought, my goodness, how can I measure up to Ananias? Are there things in my life that, that I feel like, are, yeah, you've just gone too far? I can't mess with you anymore. I, 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 I'm not going to do that. And here's Ananias. I, I, we could all assume that he had to reconcile some things in his own mind. He, he understood the threat, potentially, that it was going to take. He understood what people might say about him going and showing this man grace and bringing this man in, but he had radical faith, he had radical obedience, and truly he was moved, I believe that he was moved in a spirit of gratitude, God, you've been so good to me, I acknowledge that, I acknowledge that I'm not worthy of this love, I'm not worthy of this mercy, I'm not worthy of this grace, but you've given it to me anyways, and in that, I'm going to act out and show that to someone else that's not deserving. It's mercy. Ananias is an agent of extreme grace. My prayer is that we would be people like Ananias, that we would love people, and we would, I, I know it's hard, but we would overlook some of the things that when people hurt us, when, when people have just gone too far, that we would be an agent of grace. How many of us would pray that, man, I would have a spirit like Ananias to be able to love people and not reject people? Second story is Zac- uh, Zacchaeus, and uh, uh, I'll just get into it. I'll just read it. Okay, so, so the, the Bible says here in Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, the Bible says this, that Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, uh, uh, okay, so, so this is a, this is a Jew that has sold out, okay, and is now working for the Roman government, uh, collecting Roman taxes from his brothers and sisters, okay? So he's now oppressing uh, uh, his own kind, okay? So, uh, so he's hated, okay? No, no one likes him. What, what I thought, what I found was, was interesting is that Zacchaeus was a Jew. He belonged to the chosen people, Zacchaeus is actually short for Zechariah, and Zechariah means that Yahweh remembers. And, and, and as we look at this story, as we think about this, I want each and every one of us to, to, note, to, to note this, that maybe you were walking with the Lord, and you're not walking with the Lord in the same way that you know you should be or that you were at one time. I want to remind you that God remembers you. I think I think It's significant. I think it's significant to this story that here's this man that has basically crossed the line, and he's gone to a point of no return in society's stance, okay? And, 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 and everyone in in the society of that time, in the culture of that time, you've gone too far. There's no coming back for you. I think it's interesting that his name means God remembers. And so maybe you're in this room tonight, and I, I, I want to encourage you. Does it matter where you're at? There's grace for you that God remembers you each and every one of us whatever situation that we're in God remembers you God remembers the promises that he gave you God remembers the words that were spoken over you God remembers the giftings that he that he put in you and God wants you to realize that so so here's Zacchaeus Zacchaeus is uh, his uh, his occupation is a tax collector in fact he's a very wealthy man so uh, so he's, he's wealthy and he's become wealthy by experience Distorting his own people. Okay, so this is like you you know, if there's any tax people in here, uh, forgive forgive us, but you know who likes the tax man? (laughs) So Zacchaeus is, is all jacked up here. The Bible goes on. It says, uh, says, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So, a couple of things here. Number one, Zacchaeus, and, 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 and we understand this, it was undignified for an adult, uh, a Jewish man, although he was, you know, uh, he, he was a sellout, okay? Uh, it, was, it was undignified for a Jewish man to run. Okay, to, to do anything with any kind of haste, it was undignified. I think that's important. I think that we could assume here that Zacchaeus was excited, that Zacchaeus maybe had he knew something was special about not only Jesus but maybe even about this moment. I, I think that maybe even uh, in a, in a way the Holy Spirit was stirring in his heart. I think that I think that Zacchaeus knew that there was another tax collector that that was. Uh, uh, that, 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 was, uh, uh, that was, you know, kind of in his same shoes that ultimately had converted it was now one of the disciples of Jesus. I think that, that story had resonated or had gotten out. And so here's Zacchaeus, and I believe in this moment, he's saying, maybe this is my shot. And so here he is, he goes running ahead and he climbs up in this tree. Now, I thought this was interesting that the Bible says that he climbs up in this sycamore fig tree. And uh, uh, we all know that the fig leaves are the same fig leaves that were used to cover Adam and Eve when they were shameful, when God came looking for them in, in, uh, in, uh, uh, in the very beginning in Genesis. And so I thought about this, and I thought about, uh, even in my own life, what are the figs that we're putting on to cover up our shame? So like Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus went and he hid up in this fig tree so that he could see God, but he knew that he wouldn't be accepted. Uh, but with, with the rest of the people. And uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll, just, uh, I'll just share this. In, in my own life, um, I've begun to look at things in my own life, uh, uh, things that have happened in my life, uh, maybe traumatic experiences that have happened in my life, that I've, I've kind of built up these kind of fig leaves over who I am uh, so that people wouldn't wouldn't see truly who I am, and I would be able to kind of hide a little bit, you know. I think sometimes we do this in overcompensating, you know, sometimes... Uh, we put on like the tough guy uh, look because we don't want to be hurt anymore. We've been hurt in the past. And we say, we're never going to let that happen again. And so our fig leaf is this, this, this kind of like tough exterior. Like you're, you're mean, uh, but you're not really mean. You're soft. Uh, uh, but, but, but you put on this front. You don't want anyone to see who you are. You're, you're scared that you'll be rejected. And I think that there's many people uh, uh, that, that are living in this world, probably even sitting in this room, that we're covering up shameful areas in our lives to not be exposed uh, and, and be transparent in the presence of God. I think that we overcompensate uh, a lot. I think we overcompensate in our careers. We may overcompensate in education. We might find different things in our lives that we, we do to kind of cover up our insecurities or our shameful things uh, so that we're, we're not transparent. Uh, transparent, and we're not open before God. So here's Zacchaeus. He's happy about what's going on, but he doesn't really know how to respond to the situation. So he runs up, and he's hiding in this fig tree. The Bible goes on, the Bible goes on to say, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and called by, uh, called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, Quick, come down! I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Uh, He he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. And so here it is that there's this radical act of grace that Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, is making time for this chief sinner. How many of us are thankful for that? That Jesus would make time for those that everyone else would cast aside, those that everyone else would never receive. Here's Jesus stopping and making time for this person. Now, I think that this attitude or this act is typical of Jesus, that Jesus is constantly seeking out those that are lost, those that are are outcasted, those that are broken, those that seem to have have no hope, those that we would say are losers in society. Jesus makes time for him. And I think it's a model to explain and really to show the heart of God. And so here Jesus is, he see, he seeks out Zacchaeus and this is this is the most beautiful thing is that Zacchaeus responds to this grace. Now, there's a story about the rich, the rich young ruler that he didn't respond the same way. Now, I'm not here to tell you that he, he never was saved or that, you know, I'm not I, I, we don't know, okay? So I'm not saying that. But here's an example of, of, of a person kind of in the same situation, and the alternate response is the response to receive the salvation that Jesus offers. So the Bible goes on to say, Meanwhile, while well, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, i will give half of my wealth to the poor lord and if i have cheated people on their taxes i will give them back four times as much now zacchaeus is showing fruit of repentance so it's not just a feel-good moment where oh here's jesus and he loves me and he invited me to break uh, break bread with him and this is such a cool experience that's not what Zacchaeus is held up on. Zacchaeus has a revelation of who Jesus is. He realizes the grace and the mercy that's, that, that he's been able to find in Jesus. And in that moment, he responds in fruits of repentance. The Bible says Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who... Who are lost. And so Zacchaeus was, was, is a great story, an illustration of one that was outcast, the one that was broken, the one that had no hope. Jesus comes walking by. And God remembers Zacchaeus. He calls him by name and he says, Zacchaeus, c- hurry up, come down here. I, I'm going with you. And in that moment, again, Zacchaeus isn't, isn't caught up in this really cool experience. He's understanding what's going on. He, this, the, the climax of the situation. Ultimately, he responds in repentance. And he says, I have to do acts. I have to do something to show my repentance. In that moment, Jesus turns to him and says, salvation has truly come to this house because there's now fruit of repentance in this man's life. I think that's something that each and every one of us can learn something from. The last story is the Samaritan woman. And this is a long story, and i i 'm going to have to jump through this a little bit so 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 bear with me. Um. Uh, here here it is. So so Jesus is making a a mission uh, through Samaria and he has this encounter. Now this is this is a a unprecedented event, okay? Uh, uh, There's no reason why this woman should be where she's at. There's no reason why Jesus should be where he's at. And so what we would call this is a God moment. Alright? So the Bible says Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had, he had to go through Samaria. On the way, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. There, there's just... There's history there, okay? I'll just leave it at that. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew. Now, I want you to, to, to pick up on this progression of this Samaritan woman and her revelation of who Jesus is in this moment. She says, number one, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift uh, God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water, But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water... Uh, this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. The woman responds, please sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Now I'm going to stop right there. What this woman is thinking about is carnal. She's thinking in the present tense of what's going on right now. And Jesus is talking about this living water that never runs dry how many of us have experienced that living water in our lives so we try to fill our lives with all kinds of stuff before uh drugs uh, uh sex uh alcohol whatever whatever your vice was you try to fill you try to fill your life with it and it just was never enough it always came up short you always felt like man if i just get this it'll be all right and then you get that and it's empty so in this moment, Jesus is saying, I am the, the, the living water. And, and, and in her mind, she's so carnal in her thinking that she misses the revelation that Jesus is trying to say. The Bible, or the Bible goes on to say, or Jesus says, go and get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth, sir. The woman said, you must be a prophet. So he went from a Jew, now to a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of us uh, of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it's, the, it's here at Mount Gerizim, uh, where our ancestors worshiped. Now, just real quick, have you ever been talking to someone and you start talking about morality? You start talking about ethics? Hey, how are you, how, how are you living? How are you, uh, how are you treating your wife? And all of a sudden, it, it turns into like, well, what about the dinosaurs? Like, uh, were the dinosaurs alive? Back then, like they get really technical all of a sudden and when you're talking, about, you're talking about a heart issue. And Jesus is talking about a heart issue with this woman. He's like, hey, hey, we're talking ethics here and you want to talk theology. We'll, we'll get there. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? It's, it's, it's interesting that, that Jesus has the ability to cut right to the heart of the matter. I think even tonight that, that, that the Lord is, is saying, hey, uh, you're doing a lot uh, in my name. You're, uh, you're trying to live a good life. You're doing all this stuff. But what's really going on in your heart? That's, that's the real matter here. All these things, all this carnal stuff, doesn't matter But what's going on in your heart. The Bible goes on to say, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If you read this, uh, the, the way that it's translated, uh, we think that he's saying in spirit and in truth, like, uh, like in spiritual gifts and the truth like the word. That's how most of us read that, Right. That's not necessarily wrong, but the true translation, what Jesus is saying is that you are to worship me truly. You are to worship me wholly, not two different ways, not spiritual. And ritual, it's truly worship me with everything that you are, with your heart, mind, spirit, strength, all that you are, that you would worship me in this way. It's not spiritual versus ritual. It's not two ways here. It's our hearts that are humbled before God that say, God, I need you more and more every single day. To worship in spirit is to worship in in our lives as a sacrifice. How are you living your life? Is your life a spiritual worship to God? I'm not asking do you go to church. I'm not asking do you go to connect group. I'm not asking do you go to men's night and women's night and a prayer meeting. Although all of that is good and important and critical for our growth. But what Jesus is asking is, are you worshiping, are you worshiping me truly spiritually? The woman said, I know now the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Listen to that progression. Could he possibly be the Messiah? He went from a Jew to a prophet to the Messiah. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. This is, what I, oh, this is what I want us to, to understand. Here's this woman. Uh, she was, a, again, an outcast of society. Uh, many of us would say that she was damaged goods. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And so here's Jesus again as an agent of grace, just moving out and being intentional about connecting with those that everyone else has written off. And he comes and he shows tremendous grace to this woman. And I think it's just typical for us to understand that this is really, this is the mandate. This is the example or a template that's laid out for each and every one of us as to how we're supposed to live this altered life. That we're supposed to be the ones that are seeking out those that no one else wants. And I think that... Just like the Samaritan woman or just like many religious people, we could get caught up in ritual and kind of lack in the spiritual. We could go through the motions of tradition and religion and not be worshiping God truly in spirit, truly. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.